0: table that and we'll, we'll certainly come back i will okay. did you uh did you want to ask ryan so ryan's on the ground there i don't know mr Ram, if you had a question uh, if you wanted to make a question or comment in terms of it. he's uh with the foreign legion uh on the ground and he's uh transferring to a new unit here tomorrow
1: no no i li- I, I i like listening to uh, him speaking i was uh, listening
0: uh, all the time fantastic okay ryan i'll uh ask a different question here uh are there i'll, I'll add some uh, levity to to my question uh are there any areas you've absolutely loved uh to to just pass through even if it wasn't under the uh, the best of circumstances or anything that you you found uh sentimental so far
2: i like so in ukraine to be honest the north north of kiev is amazing i haven't been to kharkiv yet i'll be there shortly but uh so far the best areas like north of kiev like uh <clears throat> bizarre area b-a-z-r is the area it's actually beautiful uh the forests there are good uh especially to fight in um <clears throat> mick not too bad but it's sort of bland i think hopefully nobody's from mick and gets upset about that but i would say north of kiev so far has been the best um architect wise each city looks pretty cool they're all a little different i've noticed uh like when you get west it's more Europeanish. than then when you get more towards like uh kiev it's uh depending where you're at in kiev obviously uh you get some more of the old uh like different like older architects that's more eastern oriented not like full-on soviet union they do have those buildings but they just have a lot different designs this is but yeah the north is the best so far
0: and uh yeah, another lighter question here for you uh, I, I'd love to say it's from the audience, but it's actually from myself. Uh, so, have you have you made any battle uh, friends? And, and by that, I mean like furry friends. Have you made any battle pets? Have you have you come across any? Have you adopted any? Does your unit have any?
2: Yes, yeah, so we have. Uh, we had a dog in machine that we didn't adopt. It adopted us. Uh, it would not get out of our building. Um, our door got blown off, so it just wandered in one night and stayed there, um, which was fine. Like we let it. It wasn't a big deal. Um, <clears throat> it was annoying because it I'd walk around at night, but that's also not a bad thing. Um, then we actually had puppies down in McLife that we actually, a uh, Ukrainian volunteer came down and grabbed them. And then then he rehoused them in people's houses so, cause we were living in like <laughs> a pretty, a pretty shitty blown up building. So, uh, he took the puppies cause we didn't have dog food or anything for him rehoused them to some people somewhere in Ukraine. So, but yeah, we've had a few, uh, and when I was in the north, I we had a pet deer for a while. Um, so we found a hunting lodge in the middle of nowhere, and they were, it was like one of those uh, places where you could, like, you pay whatever amount of money you can shoot, like, pheasants or go out and shoot deer. So they raise their own game animals. Um, and, yeah, we had a pet deer that was just
0: hanging out at the hunting lodge that we stayed at. <laughs> And, and so the deer would just come back up to you guys for food? Is that is that what it would yeah, do? Yeah,
2: it just it just basically stayed in the compound. Uh, the gates were open, it could leave when it wanted to, it never did. Um I don't know what happened to it, but it just didn't come back one day, so I probably got killed. Um, the Russians lit the forest on fire pretty heavy up there at one point. So uh, we also had some pet ducks up there, but they didn't really they weren't really friendly friendly, but <clears throat> yeah, we had a few animals, so there you go.
3: Um, we have a couple of more hands-up, if you don't mind. Uh, we'll have Nick, then we have Ankira, then I like Wendy, and after that, Nina. Nick.
1: <clears throat> Ryan, for those of us who decided at a very young age uh, that the best way we could serve our country's interests is by staying out of the way of anything remotely military, um, can you describe what a typical day is for an infantryman in the legion? Are you kind of like you know waking up in a billet somewhere, uh, getting, I don't know, in a four by four or a BMP or something, you drive towards the front. What, just give us, can you give us like a flavor of what a day is like for a soldier in combat? Because really we have, I have no idea, you know, do you sort of clock on, look for targets? Do you very often not find anybody? Is there a lot of boredom? Um, you know, what's, 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 a, what's, a, what a, what's a day? It, whatever you can tell us without, you know, giving, I mean, we'll give giving a secret, but you know, I, I, this is a really, really, really stupid question for someone who has never been anywhere near the military, but you know, just find that world, uh, beyond, my, beyond my imagination.
2: Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, my unit doesn't do trenches when we do do trenches, it's just like anyone else. You wake up in the trench, you eat in the trench, you drink water in the trench, you just hang out in the trench and wait to get artillery. Um, When we're not doing that, we have a frontline position that we all stay in. Uh, We'll plan a mission op one day, and then we'll execute it the next day, or if it takes a day after that because we need to get more intel, um, we'll basically wait until we get what we need. Then we go and operate the mission, come back from the mission, check all your gear, um, uh, check the new intel reports, uh, talk to the ops room guys, Um, so, I mean, it it varies, uh, for what we typically do, but I mean, if, if like right now, the average Ukrainian soldier that's on the front line. they basically, majority of them wake up in a trench, go to sleep in a trench, eat in a trench. Um, when they get rotated out from the trench, they maybe go a mile, two miles, three miles behind it. And then they wake up in a a basement, eat in a basement, all that in the basements. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's pretty monotonous um so when you're not on duty you just basically crack jokes mess around um obviously if you are you can mess around in the trenches to a certain point uh as long as your security is still pulling guard and you're not exposing yourself but um yeah i mean it, it really just depends on what your job is but this yeah it's pretty monotonous you're not you know everyone thinks you're fighting every single day you're not you might be getting artilleryed every day but um that doesn't mean you're going to have a target to shoot back at it. Or like if you're planning operations, there's going to be a lull in fighting while the planning gets done. And because you have to make sure you're not going to walk into something that you didn't expect. Uh, It still does happen obviously, but um, it just depends on what your objective is uh, and what AO you're in or area of operation you're in. But uh, trench life is pretty shitty. (laughs) So so
1: one of these, you're not in the trench you say you plan and you go on like a mission. So what level is that is your is your nco or is your lieutenant saying okay uh, our mission is to i don't know um take out three tanks that are parked up somewhere or uh you know what what, what would kind of what level of would you know, a mission consist of i'm really this is really really fundamentally ignorant here but you know what is what what, what is these one of the a mission that you go and execute
2: Yeah, so uh, for an example, um, basically our Ukrainian commander will get called back to the HQ, uh, wherever that may be. It might take him a half a day to get there or whatever. It just depends. Um, He'll get told by his boss that, hey, or his commander, like the overall area commander, um, sector commander is what the Ukrainians usually call it. The sector is basically you have this section of the front line. That's your area of working in. Go do work. Um, so the sector commander, will call our sector, sector commander back. And for instance, he'll say, Hey, we're having trouble in this trench works. Uh, they're getting attacked by a, uh, platoon sized element that moves up the road every day, uh, between these varying times. We want you to go out and hit them or at least make it known that they can be hit. So he'll take that mission statement, <clears throat> come back to us, say, Hey, this is the area that he wants you to focus on. Uh, they're getting hit by tanks or BMPs or whatever from this area. Or, you know, there's troops sitting there that they want you to take out. Uh, then we take that information. We go through the intel reports for the area in that vicinity. Uh, not just specifically that, but, you know, like in a three-kilometer area. So we know what's left of us, what's right of us, behind and in front of us. Uh, then we'll look at the terrain features. Uh, then we'll plan what we need as far as food, water, um We don't really plan a medevac because if we get stuck out in a lot of these ops, there's no medevac. Um, It's just basically carry the guy out uh, if you can get to him. But basically, so we just plan uh, terrain features, enemy element size, uh, enemy, um, you know, what they're wearing, what their equipment is, uh, what, what artillery do we have, what do they have. Once the mission's planned, we do a stand-up, basically a stand-up is everyone get their gear ready, um, your weapons clean, you have your 10 megs or 7 megs of ammo, you have your RPGs, you have your grenades, you have your plates in, you have your Kevlar. Uh, Once the stand-up's done, then we get ready, we go to our first, uh, I guess, rally point, you can call it uh basically rally points where if shit hits the fan you all go back to that point uh it's usually where we start off or start near it and then basically we have gps stuff so we actually have a a route spotted ahead of time in case there's minefields. uh we stick pretty close to those uh we'll go out do the operation uh if it takes one day two days three days whatever we try to finish the operation sometimes we have to come back early um once you get back then you download all your gear um check your weapons, make sure they're still functioning properly if you didn't shoot them. Usually we shoot them, so. Um, and then basically you just rinse and repeat. You get one day off uh, while the commander goes and gets a new operation. Uh, your day off, you're cleaning, cracking jokes. I mean, it doesn't take long to clean a weapon, so that's basically the gist of it, and just keep rinsing and repeating. Hopefully it's not the same mission day in and day out, because those can get monotonous. Um, the tank hunting ones get really monotonous, because it's a lot of slow movements and then you're usually it, it, it just sucks you're just basically sitting waiting walking slow crawling but it's whatever the command wants we do so
1: like 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 cops on a stakeout i imagine waiting for a tank to come
2: yeah pretty much i mean it's not it's not exactly like that i mean there's a time frame if we don't see something between this time to this time we usually will bug out uh you can't sit in one spot for too long because say a drone saw you but they're just waiting Um, eventually you have to move, so we typically, we have a time frame where if nothing comes between this time, we already leave. Um, If we encounter something before that, we adjust fire, we'll either hit whatever it is before we got to the point, or we'll come back. So, I mean, there's a lot of fluidity in it, but it's like, there's a lot of fluidity and chaos, but it's like controlled chaos and controlled fluidity on it, so um, some units don't operate like that, some units just say, okay, they want us to go hit this area, we're just gonna go hit the area, but It just depends on the unit and the capabilities of your guys.
1: Thank you. Um, uh, There's there's an old saying about how we sleep quietly. People sleep peacefully in their beds at night. George Orwell, people sleep peacefully in their beds at night only because rough men stand ready to do violence on their behalf. So thank you. I'm sure you're more than just a rough man, but thank you for being prepared to do violence on all of our behalf. No problem. All righty.
3: All righty. So we'll, we're welcoming a few new guests and then also our friend CJ, who's just joined us. But in the meantime, there were hands up from Ankir, from Peter, from Ila like Gwendy, Nina, and Scott. So why don't we go through it? Ankir has been waiting the most, and then we'll go to Ila like Wendy after, and then Peter. Ankir?
4: Oh, Okay, sorry. Uh, I have to say, Ryan, you have a, a very lovely voice on, on the Twitter space, and I appreciate what sounds like optimism. In the face of what you're doing, uh, and confidence, so that's really reassuring to hear. I wanted to back up to Belarus. Um, I've been to Belarus. I've been to Russia. I left Belarus with friends. I did not leave Russia with friends. <laughs> if that says anything, um, are the Belarusian soldiers talking about the state of affairs in Belarus? As far as will the their so their 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 um, friends that are back home that are in the military, would they actually? fight if Yukashenko sent them into Ukraine, or do you think there would be a mass resistance? Do they talk about that? Thank you so much.
2: Um, we don't have Belarusians with us. We encounter them once in a while. Um, I would assume from talking with them, though, a lot of them are, obviously, they're not pro Lukashenko, and I don't think there's a lot of Belarusians that are. Um, The problem is he controls a lot of the military still and a lot of the internal police type stuff. I think if he gave the order, they would invade. It wouldn't go very well with them. Uh, The Ukrainians that are in the north are pretty... um, If you've ever been to Texas, you know how the Texans are. That's basically what the northern Ukrainians are in those wooded areas. They're they're self-reliant. Like the house that we stayed in with the local TDF commander... Uh, for a while, in the occupied zone that we were in, um, he dried all his own meat in the attic of his house. he canned all his own vegetables, he had his own garden. Uh, I don't even think the guy ever went to the damn grocery store to be honest. He had his own cow to milk. Um, so I mean they're pretty they're pretty uh they're people I wouldn't want to mess with if they weren't on my side. so I think it would go really bad for Belarus really quickly, like it did for the Russians. Uh, there's a reason the Russians didn't go into the forest very much up in the north. It's because the uh, that's Ukrainian territory, and they're very good at knowing where they're at. Um, <clears throat> I think you would end up seeing a coup, though, eventually, uh, once the bodies start coming back. But I don't think it'd be initial.
4: Thank you. If only we could see the Maidan revolution succeed in Minsk. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you, Anki. That's very kind of you. And we'll go to Peter and then talk like Wendy.
5: Uh, hi, can you hear me okay? Very well, Peter. Good evening. Uh, good evening. Uh, hi, uh, Ryan. Um, so, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the psychological toll of uh, what's going on. I mean, there's obviously a lot of people on the front who have to run this straight from civilian life, and maybe a lot of people in the foreign legions who are used to, let's say, uh, a better resource uh, 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 army, and so uh, the kind of war they're experiencing is like nothing they've seen before. So, um how what kind of toll does that take mental well-being uh, how is that playing out and um are any provisions in place to kind of help people through crises and and uh, and what is your expectation about uh, what this is going to kind of do to people at the other end of this thing? uh
2: you're talking like as far as the ukrainians are going on the front lines from like the tdf and stuff i'm assuming
5: i mean i'd say across the board i'm, I'm actually interested in um, whatever insight you have. I mean, I'd be more familiar with the uh, foreign legion aspect of it, but um, if you have any insights uh, with the Ukrainians as well, I, I would be very interested in hearing.
2: So um, as far as the foreign legion goes, my unit doesn't really work well with the foreign legion guys. Uh, we're foreign legion, but we're not foreign legion. We don't deal at all with any of the foreign legion leadership. Um, I won't go into it all the way on that at the moment, but um at the start of the war, there was a lot of people that shouldn't have been in this country fighting that came. Um, in Moshoon, we had half of the Westerners desert us. While, so when we went to Moshoon, we basically, uh, I could probably put on a map and then draw a diagram of where we entered at and exfilled out. Um, we basically came in from the southwest side in the woods, threw artillery fire, ran to the trenches. Our commander, uh, Commander Van was like, we're gonna sit in the trench. We told Vadim, no, let's go assault the village. We argued for probably 15 minutes under artillery fire. He's like, fine, you wanna go get killed, go get killed. Um, so he came he came with us. We assaulted into the village, uh, took a house the Russians had occupied, um got all the Russians out of the house to put it in a nice manner. Um once in the house, there was 12 of us we sat there and just uh did a plan to attack the hqs hit the russians that were moving about in the town um after like two days of constant artillery the people that were still in the trench behind us that initially came with us uh they had all fled in the middle of the night uh the only way we found out about that is our commander actually ran through artillery fire like 800 meters to the rear to get us water and when he got back there, there was nobody back there. Um, the only one that was back there was like, there was like three Westerners still left out of the 20 that we left in the trench. And then one Ukrainian that had no idea what to do. Um, I think he was a little bit, uh, <laughs> um, he, yeah, the Ukrainian commander in the rear just didn't know what to do since all the Westerners fled at the night. Uh, he was a little bit shell shocked on that, but um, at the get go, there was a lot of people that shouldn't have been here. They found out real quick that they needed to leave. um, <clears throat> After that, there's still some foreigners here that I think haven't gotten into the ship fully. Uh, they're gonna figure it out real quick if they want to stay or not. Um, as far as the Ukrainians go, the new guys getting on the front. If um, <clears throat> you're in a trench next to them, some of them do get shell shocked. Uh, all you gotta do to knock somebody out of that though is basically walk up, shake them, say "Hey, you're fine," uh, crack a joke, say "Suka blat" is whatever you want to say Ukrainian, and typically they'll smirk or you know it'll knock them out of them sitting there shaking. Um and then in that case usually just grab them set them over near you, and then give it five, ten minutes, and they'll they'll usually start being productive again. It doesn't actually happen that often. Um, you know, maybe one person in like out of thirty or forty it happens to. Um the longer you're getting artillery, the more it wears on you, but you usually don't see them shell shock again. You usually just see them They react quicker, but it also, if you're in a trench for like 10 days straight getting artillery, at some point it just breaks you a little bit. Um, But again, there's ways to get out of that. You just got to joke around and have fun when you're not getting smashed with artillery. Um, But I think in the long term, there's definitely going to be issues with some of these people with PTSD. Obviously, everyone's going to have PTSD after this. Uh, The locals that stayed through the artillery, they're going to have the same thing, if not worse. Uh, Because, you know, everyone thinks that during these battles in these cities that everyone flees, they don't um the ukrainians are like it was brought up earlier about the the they're uh, not wanting to destroy stuff to defend it better <clears throat> as far as like knocking holes in walls and stuff well the ukrainians are pretty proud of what they've built over the years uh, especially people that have built their houses with their hands uh in the west we hire construction companies in ukraine a lot of times the families will build their own house with the bricks uh do the whole nine yards in these in some areas you know Um, or they saved up their whole life for these things. So a lot of these civilians don't leave their property. And I'm sure they've seen quite a bit of atrocities. So, yeah, there's going to be a huge issue with PTSD and stuff at the end of this and during the war even. Um, I don't know if there's a good way to get out in front of it. I don't think there's – there's definitely not enough mental health care facilities and personnel in-country to handle that. I don't know if there's any um, actual – full fledged organization working boots on ground with that I know there is like here and there like obviously the Red Cross probably has people here or um I know there's like at the border <clears throat> excuse me if you go to the border there's usually the uh, window where you go across the border there's like a sign that says hey free telehealth for uh, mental health here but I don't think there's like a registration go to say hey I'm having issues um I need help and then they give it to you I think it, I, I think it's There's not enough help being provided for the issues that are here, and after this war, it's going to be ten times worse. So I don't know. Hopefully, one of the big uh, nonprofits is working on a way to rectify that a little bit, but I guess we'll see. But I mean, during the war, the artillery really breaks people. But like I said, you can shake them out of it, and um, like for guys like me that have been doing this for so long, it doesn't really affect you when you get artillery. It's like this sucks. I hate this. Like, what the hell am I doing? Uh, you don't really get shell-shocked or freak out anymore. Um, you pretty much just walk around and check all the other people. But uh, <clears throat> that doesn't mean it doesn't affect us. It just comes later on, usually after the war. So, <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're de- there's definitely going to be a huge need for mental health and, um all that coming up. And right now, if we can get it. But uh, I don't do the nonprofit side stuff, so I don't know. There's probably stuff in place, but it's probably inadequate.
3: It always is. When the pressure fades, darkness comes. But we'll deal with it then. Now, a uh, quick question. We had a question coming in from one of the friends of the program um, that the uh, Georgian uh, commander has said that, and I don't know to what extent, because he said that you have um, qualms with the foreign legion setup. but uh, the Georgian commander is um, quoted to have said that um, not only are the Georgians currently the largest volunteer group but they are followed closely by the Brits meaning he estimates that uh, approximately 3000 UK volunteers are serving significantly more than i had been seeing and hearing indications before and uh, followed closely by Americans um what do you think
2: about it Ryan i would say he's probably correct on that honestly um <clears throat> so as far as the foreign legion goes they can honestly they can fuck themselves um The leadership can. The Georgians run on their own, but they're under the Ukrainian government. They're sort of, they're foreign legion, but they're the Georgian legion. So they have a different, their leadership is a lot better at solving problems. Um, The international legion was thrown together hastily. They never fixed the issues. They still haven't fixed the issues. Uh, I've got guys in my team who have, you know, gotten artillery for for a month straight, um, went on missions. We should have went on, but still did it anyway. Uh, They still haven't gotten paid. Um, and the pay is not great. Like literally it's 40,000 Grieven a month. And then your frontline pays up to a hundred thousand Grieven a month. Uh, they say they're working on it, but in the press, they tell everyone that they're getting paid Well, they're lying. They aren't, um, <clears throat> the international leads have a huge gripe with luckily my unit doesn't deal with them. We have our own command under a better setup outside of the pay the pay is still done by the international legion but yeah i'm not a fan of the international legion the georgian legion the belarusian legion um they're probably the most squared away legions as far as the foreign fighters go um the international legion there's just no command and control the people in the doing the desk jobs don't know what the fuck they're doing uh they throw people into frontline units that shouldn't be anywhere near there uh yeah to, yeah, that's, that's about all I'll say on that. But, yeah, the Georgian guy's probably right. So you're, tell- you're,
3: you're telling, telling me that essentially what it needs is a shake-up in command and a proper a force structure uh, in the rear to actually sort this out?
2: At a bare minimum. There's a lot that could be done. Um, <clears throat> if they'll do it, I don't know. I don't think anyone's made enough noise about it yet. Um, they are going to end up getting people killed, though, if they don't quit doing what the shit they're doing. Uh, like I said, luckily I don't have to deal with them, though, so... <laughs>
0: Ryan, if, if right. I may, this dovetails with a with a friend of the program as well that that put a question in about survivability. So maybe I'll I'll flip the question, um, without giving away details of, of your unit, but they they want to understand what makes you survivable or your unit survivable um, in terms of your duration on the battlefield. I don't know if you can speak to that, and if and if if you're uncomfortable speaking to it, please please don't.
5: I would love to
2: say our training and expertise, but I mean, we sat in the same house for five days in Moshun and had direct artillery hits on the house and still stayed there. So I'm just going to say dumb luck. Um, and then in Irpene, we decided to take 12 guys and assault a company-sized Russian HQ that had dug-in BMPs and BTRs. So I I would love to say experience. Obviously, experience helps, um, but almost none of us. I have a little bit of experience on force-on-force because, on force, like, I was with the Kurds in Kirkuk in 2017 when we had that little minor civil war with Iraq there. Um, So I knew a little bit of the force on force, you know, with Abrams tanks and all that that were shooting at us. But I think mainly just dumb luck. Um, Training obviously helps. Uh, When we do get in the shit, mainly violence action. Um, You know, if you freeze, you get killed. But probably dumb luck. Uh, Survivability. So far we've had a few people get shot. Um, Our javelin gunner got smashed by a tank pretty hard. Uh, Luckily, He's got all his limbs and stuff, but his head is pretty fried. So um, <laughs> he's back in the U.S. getting treatment. He wants to come back. We'll see. Um, I hope he does. He's a good guy. But um, <clears throat> will we all survive this war? Probably not. And, uh, you know, we joke about it all the time. Like I tell, I wear a size 10 and a half boots, and my boots are getting pretty worn. I always tell the guys if they die and take their boots that they have the same size. So we joke about it a lot. Um, <clears throat> none of us really expects to live it, through it, but if we all live through it, we all live through it. If we have casualties... Um, you know, we will decompress at the end of the war um, on a lot of it. Uh, we've lost some unit commanders that were pretty good. Uh, Yuri, uh, Alexei, both were killed within the last month. Um, <clears throat> we've had other guys get injured. So, I mean, I don't know. Dumb luck, honestly. We probably should have been killed the first the first battle we got into. But somehow <laughs> we didn't. So,
0: and we're here still. Okay, well, I'm well, not going to uh, We're very glad you. for that. Yeah, nor, and I'm not going to tell you my shoe size either.
3: <laughs> All right. By the way, we welcome our friend and uh, co moderator, CJ, uh, who wants to jump in, I presume, with a question, and then we go to INIQ.
6: Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan, for taking so much time to speak with us. Just uh, some background is uh, when I was in high school, I watched Red Bulls come home in 2011 in uh, Iowa City, where I was uh, raised, and that was like the main factor in me joining the.
2: Uh, I was uh, on that deployment.
6: Yeah. So, so happier still fighting for freedom and democracy. I know we all here in the space appreciate it. Now, now active duty army, been in range regiment in Afghanistan a little bit. But my question for you is you're talking about the <clears throat> the patrols and whatnot, and you, you kind of hinted at this huge difference with large scale combat, which, you know, all these sort of Western quote unquote combat that's, you know, it's, they're not necessarily prepared for, you know, even if they'd seen a couple things in uh, Afghanistan or Iraq. So my question for you is sort of like what stands out as someone who can make that transfer from, you know, fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan or, or even in Syria, in Iraq, in your case, to fighting this war, you know, what is what is the defining factor between uh, being good there and being good where you're at?
2: I don't know. That's hard to say. I would love to say, like, well, I can tell you this um, without giving too much detail. I have fought with Rangers prior, not Rangers now, but ex- ex-BAT Rangers, like they served in BAT, did all that. Uh, you might be able to get contacts through your current bat guys to talk with them on the differences in the battlefield, and they'd probably be more than happy to talk with you about it. Um, <clears throat> the bat guys beat out the soft guys, like the 18 guys, hands down every day, except for medical, obviously. Um, and I don't know if it's just because you guys do more force-on-force training, uh, the raid stuff, I don't know, but the ranger guys tend to be a little bit better than some of the 18 guys and some of the task force guys. And again, that's probably based on the training Um, experience wise. I'd love to say it's because of the training or prior service. But when we all first joined and we met at the base that got bombed, that's no longer a base. uh, We actually the day we signed our contracts was the day we were going to leave, but we didn't have enough bodies. So we actually went around and picked people. We picked some guys that had zero experience whatsoever. Um, They're now in our unit still they're complete badasses they've excelled at everything um obviously trained them up so i I don't know i think it's i don't know i don't know what increases survivability or how you can't really judge it on the their past experience because this war is different so i mean like we had veterans everyone that fled that trench in motion except for five people out of the original 28 or whatever we took were all veterans um the ones that didn't flee the trench the five guys that were left. Two of them weren't even veterans at all. One of them served in the Marine Corps. The other two are British. Otherwise, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know what increases survivability or makes people want to stay and fight when you're getting artillery 24-7. It's, I don't know if it's a mentality thing with the person themselves. Um, I think it it really, it probably just boils down to, are uh, you committed to die for this cause? And for some people, they think they are. They have this romantic vision of war, and then a, flip, a switch flips in their head. You know, this is obvious for non-Ukrainians. Ukrainians obviously have a reason to fight, um, but I think it just boils down to that. Because, like, if you if you're not ready to die for this, you got an op and shit hits the fan, you might freak out, run. So, I mean, you're going to get yourself killed doing that. So, I think I think it's really just, are you ready to die for Ukraine? Uh, is the big motivating factor? Because uh, if you are, you're going to sit through that artillery, you're going to sit through that tank fire. The training definitely helps, and you can see it with the Ranger guys that I've served with versus the uh, 18 series. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, you know, there's there's Rangers that have gone home too. There's SOF that have gone home. There's Task Force that have gone home. There's SAS that have gone home. Um, I think it's just like a mental aspect of is this really what's going to happen, and are you fine with it type deal. Um, and a lot of luck. Like we've had a lot of luck with survivability, but. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of differences, and I would encourage you to reach out to some of your older bat guys who probably have contacts with some of the bat guys in country. Um, there's a lot of stuff that they've learned, <laughs> and they've learned the hard way that should probably transition back to the specialized units and overall in the military. But the specialized guys could definitely um, get some pointers from these guys.
6: No, I bet, and I know uh, some of that contact has happened, and, and people are trying to learn lessons as quickly as possible. If I may, then sort of more on the Ukrainian side, you know, we've seen a lot of articles, you know, talking about just how many of the Ukrainian combat vets have died in this war, <clears throat> which is, you know, obviously a problem for building out an experienced uh, core of leadership, whether it be officers or, or more importantly, NCOs. And what these articles are kind of referring to is. You know, a lot of these Ukrainian conscripts with, you know, no background or whatever are excelling because, you know, in their communities, they're they're leaders, right? They're small business owners or they're, you know, they work with their hands and they're more well-suited to this kind of lifestyle. I just want to know if you could comment on sort of what kind of Ukrainians you've seen excel since so many people are fighting on that side, of course, that had no combat experience before this.
2: Yeah, so um, some of the guys, like the Ukrainians I've met, uh, a few of them are – no longer here they're dead but um you know one of them was a freaking doctor that was carrying a rifle uh instead of being a doctor um he excelled and he was a great one he actually you know would help out with the uh nco corps as far as like the nco leadership he wasn't an nco he was just a private but he actually people listened to him um so i, I mean and like you got the more rural people like rural ukrainians are extremely creative they may not be like you know, electrical engineers, but I tell you what, they can come up with some interesting stuff. And I think once your homeland gets threatened, especially the guys who were fighting in the north or in the, like, east, uh, who just volunteered when the TDF got called up and then they had to defend their village from a Russian assault, uh, they learned really quickly and they adapted really quick. Um, And so I... For the Ukrainian side, it's really like, it's weird. Like you can, you can almost tell when you meet a Ukrainian, if they're going to adapt or not um, just by what they were doing beforehand, especially if they were from like the rural areas who didn't have a lot of central support from Kiev or Lviv or one of these bigger cities, they tend to get more creative on the supply logistics lines. And then what happens is you have these guys who are like, okay, well, we can modify this to do this. Then you have the educated people who then take that idea and say, "Okay, I'll get you the logistics supply for this, but you got to keep rebuilding it for us." So it has a weird way of working its way out. And so you see people who never went through the Ukrainian military institute or like basic training fully, who are excelling because, like the Ukrainians, while they still have an officer corps and an NCO corps, they on the front lines now. And this might have been true before this recent invasion, uh, like with the 2014 invasion. But because their officer corps and their NCO corps isn't one of those where you need to talk to your team leader, then your squad leader, then platoon sergeant, then on up, um, the information and the transition with doing something tends to be a lot quicker. Um, I don't think that's something that the U.S. can do, but I think there's certain parts that they could pick apart and use as far as adaptations on the battlefields for certain situations and like being able to modify your weapons on the fly. Like There's stuff that can be utilized um but sorry i trailed off there but yeah back to the original thing there's yeah there's ukrainians with no are doing good and i think it's just i don't i don't i don't know it's, it's probably about the same with the foreigners um <clears throat> you know all ukrainians say they they want to fight or whatever or they'll defend their homeland that doesn't mean all of them are willing to die for it so that's a big motivating factor and i think some people are just adaptable to situations so it might just be a genetic thing or a mentality thing. So I, I don't know. It's hard to. Uh, it's really hard to pinpoint one certain thing on why they're excelling. Honestly,
3: it's people, da. Right. This is always the same. It never changes. And uh, you put one thing out there, which I really like. There are people who have been raised to be adaptive, resilient, and self uh, self sufficient, and uh, they can deal with these kind of hardships better. With so that, let's go to
1: Adi like Thanks, Axel. Thank you, Ryan, for your service. You have the admiration and respect of, I'd say, everyone in Europe and the free world. Uh, So thank you, sir. Uh, I have just two questions. Um, uh, One is, apart from GPMG-type weapons like the uh, M240, have you noticed a growing standardization towards the 5.56 round as opposed to the 7.62 round? And second question, um, is there one item within your MRE uh,
2: kits that you'd like to see more of? Thank you. Um, there is a uh, larger growing standardization. So actually, a lot of the AKs that the Ukrainians carry are actually 5.45 um, for at least the units I've been around. Uh, the TDF might be getting the older 7.62s, I'm not sure. Uh, there are a lot more 5.56 weapons coming in that the units are fielding now. Um, I would believe they're going to be fielding them better just because the, the sights are better. Uh, you can mount optics on them without modifying the top cover tray. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, there is, there is a slow, very slow-moving transition that you can see towards the more Western weapons. It would be nice if they you know had a million rifles and 40 million rounds tomorrow, but um, that's not going to happen. But you, I, I, I think you're going to start seeing that there's going to be a larger, more NATO-type weapon. Uh, and that's just going to be because the stockpiles are going to get low for the 5.45 and then the, you know, Russian 7.62. So, yeah, um, as this goes on and as stuff's expended, you're going to see a lot more Western weapons. And hopefully the Western rifles and stuff keep coming. I know there's a lot of support on the heavy stuff, but um, <clears throat> outside of ammo, we still need rifles to keep coming in and stuff like that. But, yeah, th- there is a slow move. And you can see it on the battlefield. Like, you show up at a unit and they got M4s or uh, CZ Bren 2s, which is what our unit's been carrying since the start. Um, so, yeah, you're starting to see more 5.56, which is good because then you don't have to worry about ammo as much. If you need ammo for the Russian stuff, you can just go pick it up off them when they're dead, so.
3: All right. With that, we go to Scott. Scott, can you hear us?
7: There there you go. Uh, Ryan, as a native Iowan, uh, two questions. Number one concerns livestock. From what I see from afar, it looks so much like Iowa. Do you come across a lot of livestock? Are they getting killed indisc- indiscriminately? Are the Russians butchering them? What What's the livestock situation like?
2: Um, so I haven't came across like any cattle farms or, uh, hog confinements. I believe there was poultry refinements in the, <clears throat> or poultry confinements, not refinements, poultry confinements in the Northeast and in the East. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, I mean, it looks just like Iowa, uh, other than the artillery, obviously, but yeah, they have fields. I a heavy agriculture area in a lot of these places, um. The north is mainly woodland, but they also have smaller farms. Uh, As far as butchering, I'm assuming the Russians are probably butchering whatever they can get their hands on. Um, We were going to butcher a chicken in Moshoom because we hadn't eaten in five days other than a pasta that I made under artillery fire. Um, But we couldn't find the local to go get permission to butcher it, so we didn't butcher it. Um, Funny enough, we did talk to the gal afterwards, and she was like, you could have just butchered one. Mm -hmm. But... um, yeah we we haven't butchered anything yet uh we did have actually we did i take that back there's wild boars that uh unit in mechalive shot one and we butchered that but um i'm gonna assume the russians probably are going to butcher whatever they get their hands on And <clears throat> as far as mre wise goes i would rather eat the canadian mres over the u.s mres any day of the week uh predominantly because they have better candy in them and The variety is not as big as the U.S. ones, but I don't know. They just taste better.
3: So we're going to send you more Canadian MREs. All right.
7: And then insofar as the farmers getting into the fields, other than the obvious mines that may be in the field, do you see any other risks that the farmers have to be careful of when they're plowing the field or harvesting?
5: Yeah,
2: definitely. There's a lot of UXOs. Actually... um, there's probably daily reports of farmers getting hurt because their tractor runs over like an old 30 millimeter or cluster munition. I know they are saying like the grain production is going to be knocked down by 30. It's probably gonna be a lot higher. They're estimating 30 right now, but they have to understand that anytime there's a bomb that goes off, like when this, when the crops are ready for harvest, they're going to be pretty dried out. Um, It doesn't take much to set a field on fire with a mortar artillery shell or if the Russians are just going to be dicks and just use uh, phosphorus or flare guns or whatever. So um, the farmers are taking a huge risk by going out in the fields. Even in the areas that, like in the, in the south where the Russians got pushed back from certain areas, you know, it's still a hazard. There's still stuff in the fields. Um, they might not be at the surface fully either um, because, you know, with rain and over time, they'll sink a little bit. So, yeah, there's a huge risk and they are getting killed and injured doing it. So... Uh, I don't think there's a way they can really prevent that fully um, just because there's so much UXOs. Uh, UXOs, basically, uh, unexploded ordnance. It could be something that didn't go off, that was supposed to blow up. Um, obviously, there are the landmines and stuff. But yeah, the, uh, I would hate to be a farmer in Ukraine right now. It's probably a pretty bleak outlet. Um Plus, the the machinery... You know there's you can't really get spare parts right now um i don't even know if you can get fertilizer so yeah they do grow a lot of wheat here luckily uh they do have soya soybeans Uh, i've seen some corn not too much but that might just be in a different area but yeah it looks just like iowa so the people are iowa friendly iowa nice
7: well thank you and safe returns Mm -hmm. and hope you get that iowa state
3: Well, by the way, in my DMs, Ryan, I've I've heard requests, specific requests uh, for the recipe for chicken moshun. So at some point in time when this is over, you have to share that.
2: Well, we didn't actually get a butcher it. So <clears throat> our commander wouldn't let us go take the chicken without getting permission. And I'm pretty sure at the time the uh, lady and her husband were hiding in the basement because we were getting artillery. But uh, like I said, we spoke with them afterwards. So we actually went and brought them an egg package. Um and wanted to see if they were even still alive it was pretty pretty nasty fighting. Luckily they both lived through it. Uh, a lot of the civilians that stayed in machine actually got killed uh from the artillery mm-hmm. and the team and the mortars and everything else that Russia shot. Um <clears throat> half the roof got blown off. They put a tarp over it. They're still living there. Uh we're actually bringing them some books. The gal specifically asked for Emily Dickinson, that's her favorite artist. So we're sourcing some books now in uh Ukraine that are in Ukrainian or Russian for her. Um so, yeah. Um, next time it, when we bring the books out there, I'll see if she'll cook me some chicken. I'll let you know how it goes. Thanks, Ryan.
3: And we'll go to Joseph and then Nina.
8: Hey, Ryan, it's been really great to uh, hear you speak about all this. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about, we, we read news articles here, we have people with combat experience, but to hear, uh, you know, firsthand accounts from someone who's actually on the ground there, it's really uh, fascinating. So, really appreciate you coming and taking the time to talk to us. Uh, so, I had, uh, I guess, two questions. Uh, so, the first question is, you know, we, We see a lot here in terms of, uh, you know, in this space, we cheer every time an ammo depot goes up, every time an HQ gets blown up. So I was wondering, as someone who's fighting kind of on the ground, do you guys see uh, uh, the changes uh, at the tactical level in terms of those operational successes? In other words, when the ammo depot goes up, is there, you know, a week where you have maybe an easier time of it? Or, you know, the officers where the Russian plans are a mess and you guys can exploit that? And then my second question is, um, at a tactical level, what have you, in your experience, what causes the Russian units to break? Um, is it when like their commanders get killed? Is it when they face like real artillery fire? Like what what causes them to decide this ain't back off? Thanks.
2: Um, there's really no uh, change for us at the tactical level when they hit a uh, ammo depot or anything. Um, so I, you know, I mean, we're not going to see that on the ground yet. There's, they just have so much of it, as you know. Um, obviously, it does affect them, but. I don't think we'll necessarily see a change right away on that unless they hit, you know, dozens of them a day. Then we might start seeing a difference. Um, What was the second part again? Joseph dropped off. We'll have to get him back. Let's
3: move to Nina in the meantime.
9: Uh, Hi, and thank you, Axel. And thank you, Ryan, for the work you do. It's just uh, uh, really uh, amazing to hear uh, what a soldier And I I have to thank Nick also for asking this question because uh, I have wanted to know uh, how, uh, like a day or days, how are they going on the front line? And uh, you talked a lot about the trenches, that a lot, (laughs) almost everything is happening there before you go to actually for some uh, task. Uh, So um, my question is, uh, what is the most, Challenging, is it the uh, the being on on like full alert all the time, like uh, and uh, or is it actually the combat you are doing? Uh, I'm I'm talking about like uh, mentally and physically, of course. But physically, I I can understand the combat is is more challenging. But uh, mentally, let's say mentally. Thank you.
2: Um, <clears throat> I mean combat's a challenge, but um, it's better than sitting in a trench getting artillery. Um, mentally, it's just really just not getting wore out. Um, you get wore out pretty easy, um, both both physically and mentally. You know, if you're getting artillery every day, your sleep's all messed up. Um, you know, you're not on guard 24-7, but, I mean, if you're in a trench and you're consistently getting artillery, you you sleep in it. You you know, you don't really leave that trench. Um, if you do, you move back to another trench. <laughs> to do other things so um i would say just you just get wore out uh, i don't know it's, it's hard to explain unless you've experienced but it's just you're wore out but you're still fine but you're not fine i don't know it's hard to explain um but challenging wise you just got to remember that you know eventually it'll get better so um and then the biggest deal is the biggest thing for morale is just you know talking to the other guys in the trench uh crack jokes um blare music for a little bit if there's if it's safe to do so or safe-ish to do so um you know there's there's ways to get around the the challenges of it mentally when you're getting artillery uh it just takes time a lot of the new people it takes a little bit longer to get used to um like i said some people do get shell shocked where they freeze up and just shake uh you just got to go up to them uh shake them a little bit and then talk to them they break out of it but um yeah mentally challenging mainly the artillery um otherwise being in a trench when you're not getting artillery isn't that bad um so i yeah i would say just the way we the way we uh get over it is crack jokes talk to each other um just try not to think about it for five minutes while they're reloading on us (laughs) but uh yeah i don't know that's there's not much you can do you just got to hang in there Uh,
9: thank you for your answer and uh i can i can just imagine because i i have no uh, experience of that Uh, but i I can think that uh, the whole body is like on really uh, because of the adrenaline 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 and uh, all the uh, being have to be like uh, alert that takes a lot and uh, also how about the sleep are you getting how much sleep are you getting each like
2: Thank you. Um, if, so if you're in a trench line, uh, you're obviously not going to get much sleep. So they, they do try to rotate people so you're not stuck in a trench for like two weeks straight, or at least at that very, very front trench. Um, obviously, a trench a trench works is more than one line of trenches. It's more than one fortification of trenches. Um, so they try to move people back and forth so you can get sleep. But, I mean, you you maybe get like one or two hours at a time. You just sleep when you can. If you're not on guard duty and doing something else, you just try to find a small hole to hide in and sleep in it. Um, So, I mean, yeah, obviously no one's getting like eight hours of sleep or six hours of sleep when you're on the actual front. If you get rotated to the rear, you just go find a basement to sleep in. Uh, (laughs) The worst part is when you go to the rear, though, it usually sleeps like the last thing on your mind. Usually uh, you just mess around, eat food joke with the guys i mean like you think you'd, when you get off the trench you'd be tired but like sometimes you are and then sometimes it's like well i can't sleep i'm just going to talk with everyone so it just yeah it depends on the day usually
9: <laughs> thank you for what you do to ukraine i highly respect you thank you all right Actually, we have for, joseph requesting again
3: so joseph is coming back and we have cj as well so we're fine if you give us a second we have joseph back up joseph
8: Oh, hey, Ryan, sorry. You had a question before. Yes. And... Sorry, I dropped down earlier. But, True. Uh, yeah, my second question was just about sort of, uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, you guys, uh, you decided to attack a house and sort of, well, you, I guess you cleared that one out. But in terms of uh, like Russian units breaking, in your experience, if you've seen Russians like abandon your, their positions, what do you think is the primary motivation that they, they would do that? Like, I guess like in in my understanding, at least, like a lot of the Russians are kind of just being forced, like the morale is a serious problem, right? What What do you, if their morale is low, what do you think are the factors that can cause the low morale to break? Uh, thanks.
2: I don't so, like, when we've been assaulting stuff, I don't think their morale was the issue. I think a lot of them just was fear. Um, but I, I've said this a few times in the chat, but uh, violence of action, violence of action is pretty much key uh, when you're doing any type of close fighting. Um, and so for the non-military, violence of action is basically... You just get violent. Um, I don't. It's hard to explain unless you've been in the military. But, like, if, if we're going to go attack this house, we're going to go hit that house with everything we got, and we're going to hit it hard, hit it fast, hit it quick, and just absolutely smash the shit out of whatever's inside of it. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of times it catches. And the Ukrainians do this, too. They do it well, depending on the unit. The, the Ukrainian Marines do it extremely well. Um, and some other units do, like, some of the SSO or the SSU, and those guys do it well. Um, I think it catches the Russians off guard because they're not used to having 12 guys, you know, breach a door and then just absolutely smash the shit out of them. And then when it comes to the trench lines and stuff, like assaulting the trenches, again, it's the same thing. The more violent you are and not necessarily always the loudest because like nighttime ops, you obviously don't want to be loud. But like the more brutal you sound and the more brutal you act during combat, not after you don't want to be brutal to the POWs, but during combat um it breaks people it breaks the enemy really quick um and the morale probably does have a little bit to do with it but i think it's mainly like we haven't had an issue with a unit standing toe-to-toe with us um but we've also got a lot more experienced guys who are you know prior u.s soft and stuff so it's it's hard to explain like obviously their morale is going to be an issue with it but it's really about how you attack the target Um, when you're defending, if they start taking high losses, obviously they're going to pull back. Um, Nobody's going to keep charging a target typically. Um, Well, nobody's going to charge a defensive trench line if everything else around them is getting killed. Um, Typically, obviously, um, they'll pull back. But, like, when it comes to CQB, it's just being violent, just full-out brutality. That's about the only thing, and that's what breaks them. Uh, if you have twelve guys running at you, shooting grenade launchers and everything else, uh, obviously you are not running like straight in line. But if you have them maneuvering on you, um, it it's, it gets demoralizing real quick when the guys in front of you all get killed, and like that pretty much breaks them. Usually, uh, they're also not real good at close combat. Um, at least units we ran into, we ran into VDV too, and they were better, but they still weren't um, the greatest. That's not saying that every time we win, we've gotten pushed back from areas too, um, predominantly when tanks roll up, BMPs, BTRs, where they reinforce the positions with more guys that we didn't know about. But um, the times where we have been able to push them out, like Irpine, um some areas down near Zaporizhia, uh, up in the north, is literally, you just got to be violent.
8: Thanks for the uh, follow, Brian.
3: Appreciate it. If you want to win in combat, you have to relinquish all hope that you can do this by talking. Ryan, when you were tank hunting, how many of those crews got barbecued?
2: Um, Our unit took out, oh, let's see, D took out one, two. We got, in Live total, I think between us and the Ukrainians, probably eight in the time we were down there. Um, And then we got moved uh, to the east because... They need the support out there but um i believe i'd have to talk to one of the guys again that stays in touch with the unit down there but i believe they're they're still doing pretty good work um zapparees are the guys that are doing some but not as good as the guys that were down near mclive um so i mean it's yeah we've gotten some um <clears throat> hopefully we can get some more i don't like tank hunting because i i just don't like it but um it's, if that's what we get called to do that's what we get called to do uh, at least in the east and south, the tank hunting down there is terrible because you got open fields everywhere. Um, it's just not fun,
3: but it's better than hand to hand
2: combat, right? I don't know. i would probably take hand to hand over tank fire, but I don't oh, know. know. <laughs> I'm had, I'll let you know when I get hand to hand combat, but um, we've gotten close, but not quite. Yeah, I don't know. This tank hunting's is bad because open fields, uh, you have artillery, uh, it's just it's not fun. Uh, that's I don't know. I'd, I would rather sit in a trench for 30 days and get artillery than go tank up for a week straight. I think
1: that's that, I think that's really that's really uh, interesting because for the average armchair warrior, we'd all like to imagine ourselves popping out from behind a bush, firing an off-and-end law, counting to 10 and going, Bliot! and uh, it's interesting that there, you know, it's clearly a bit more complicated than that.
2: Yeah, the problem's getting to the bush to get to the tank and uh the ground in between the bush and the tank and yeah, it's it's not fun. <clears throat> the Ukrainians do it, uh some guys like it. I talked to a Ukrainian anti armored unit that absolutely loves it. Uh they're fucking crazy. So um I don't like it. I'd rather never be in a fighting a tank again. Um we also got guys that like riding on tops of the BMPs. I absolutely stay away from any frickin' military vehicle. Um but <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I guess it just depends on on what you like doing. As
3: Ryan, as you can see, Gurney, uh, in good infantry fashion, was just clapping his hands. So let's move to Tomasz, and then Chris, and then Joel. That's interesting, Tomas? Dobrze Tomash, Can you hear us? Okay. If Tomas can't hear us, then we go to Chris.
8: Axel, thank you. Um,
1: yeah, Ryan, I was just listening to what you're talking about the the stork and the crawling on your belt buckle for hundreds and hundreds of meters is probably what kills most people i would imagine and logging a law behind you so i can see why it's hard at any second someone could drop on you but um what i was interested in was the was the uh, your assessment i know it's really hard to assess intangibles such as morale and i know Michael cough was talking about this and uh fighting spirit of the russians but what's something you can see is that